0: Question number four, we're focusing now on character. The question is, which character should we care about the most? Plot is indispensable, setting is important, but no story, in my opinion, works without a memorable, sympathetic character. The reason readers keep reading a story is because they want to see if the protagonist makes it. A chapter that hooks a reader, agent, or editor will make it clear why they should care about the protagonist from the first pages. They should see how the protagonist is, one, sympathetic, two, placed in a situation that demands a reader's attention, and three, is forced to make tough decisions that come with high stakes. Hey there, welcome to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career. I'm Abigail Perry, the host of LitMatch, and a developmental editor who has also worked as an editorial intern at a literary agency. I'm always on the hunt for noteworthy literary agents, authors, and stories that make big impacts in the world. Thank you so much for joining me for today's special bonus episode, which I'm sharing as a follow-up episode to my interview with President and Principal Literary Agent Jessica Faust of Bookends. In today's episode, I'm going to take a close look at the first chapter from one of Jessica's amazing clients and books that she represents, Take It Back by Kia Abdullah. Kia Abdullah is an author and travel writer from London. Her novels include Take It Back, A Guardian and Telegraph Thriller of the Year, Truth Be Told, which was shortlisted for a diverse book award, and Next of Kin, Times Book of the Month for September 2021. Kia has written for the New York Times, the Guardian, the Financial Times, the Times, the Telegraph, and the BBC, and has received a J.P. Presley Award for Writers of Promise. She is also the founder of Asian Booklist, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in publishing. Kia's book, Take It Back, is a courtroom thriller that collides sex, race, and social justice about an ex-high-profile lawyer who defends a facially deformed teenager after she accuses four boys of rape, all of whom have proven alibis and come from hardworking immigrant families. To give you a taste of where the story starts, I'm going to read the first page of Take It Back. Following this, I'm going to break down what I think makes the first chapter so great by using scene analysis questions that I use to edit stories and seven questions that literary agent and author Paula Munet suggests in her wonderful book on the craft of writing, The Writer's Guide to Beginnings. You can read more about my analysis and find links to purchase Take It Back in the show notes. Let's get into it. Chapter 1 She watched her reflection in the empty glass bottle as the truth crept in with the wine in her veins. It curled around her stomach and squeezed tight, whispering words that paused before they stung like a paper cut cutting deep, colorless at first and then vibrant with blood. You are such a fucking cliche, it whispered an accusation, a statement, a fact. The word stung because Zara Khalil's self-image was built on the singular belief that she was different. She was different from the two tribes of women that haunted her youth. She was not a docile housewife, fingers yellowed by turmeric, like the quiet heroines of the second-gen literature she hated so much. Nor was she a rebel, using her sexuality to subvert for culture. And yet here she was, lying in freshly stained sheets, skin gleaming with sweat and regret, Lucas' postcoital pillow talk echoed in her ear. It's always the religious ones. She smiled a mirthless smile. The alcohol, the pill, the unholy foreskin. It was all so fucking predictable. Was it even rebellious anymore? Isn't this what middle class Muslim kids did on weekends? Lucas' footsteps in the hall jarred her thoughts. She shook out her long dark hair, parted her lips, and threw aside the sheets, secure in the knowledge that it would drive him wild. Women like Sarah were never meant to be virgins. It's little wonder her youth was shrouded in hijab. Now that you've got a taste for Kia's story, I'd like to share some tools that I use to understand first chapters and why I loved this one. If you're interested in querying Jessica Bouts and write crime thrillers like Kia, I highly recommend reading Take It Back. And if it works for your manuscript, using it as a comp. Next to a query letter, the most important pages a writer needs to prepare before they query are their first pages. I've found that sometimes in an attempt to seduce a literary agent, writers spend so much time mulling over their first chapter that they forget about the rest of the book. If you've ever heard the saying, your first chapter sells your book, that's true. Literary agents and readers won't stick with a book unless the author tells an exceptional story, and this means that an author must write and polish an amazing batch of first pages for chapter one. It also means that the expectations, the quality of storytelling and writing need to carry over for the rest of your book. So while we're focusing on the first chapters, I just want to reemphasize that the tools that we're using today will help you take an in-depth look at how to really polish a first chapter with the example of a strong first chapter. But at the same time, you should be thinking about how these can carry over into all of your scenes and chapters. So that the quality of your storytelling and writing withstands the length of your novel. I'll explain the areas that I focus on while also using Take It Back as an example. But before I do this, I'd like to quickly share why I think we need to analyze a story in scenes instead of a chapter. First chapters and scenes are not always the same thing, although they can be. What I mean by this is that a chapter can contain multiple scenes, and sometimes a chapter is only one scene. When I analyze and write scenes, I like to break them up into scenes instead of chapters because this makes it easier for me to identify when something in the story is off. If a story doesn't work on the scene level, it's far more likely to bore the reader or cause confusion because there will be chunks of the story that don't advance the plot and develop the characters, two of the things that I consider make a story work. In other words, if a story doesn't work on a scene level, little to nothing will change in the story and all stories are about change. Certified developmental editor and book coach Savannah Gilbo wrote an amazing article on the difference between scenes and chapters on her blog which I'll include in the show notes, and I highly recommend you go check out. I also think that if you're ever looking for great writing advice, she has wonderful, concise, and practical tools on her podcast, Fiction Writing Made Easy, which I'll also include in the show notes. But here's a quick bit from that article on the differences between scene chapters that I'd like to share with you today. Savannah says, scenes are mini stories that link together to create your global story. They need to have their own beginning, middle, and end, as well as a clear arc of change that advances the plot and develops the main character in the scene. Chapters, on the other hand, are arbitrary divisions within a story that mainly exist to control the reader's experience. Unlike scenes, chapters have nothing to do with story structure. And when you're editing your first chapter and editing your story, looking at the story structure is the first thing that you can tackle to help make sure that everything is standing in place. Something else I think is great that Savannah makes this differentiation between scenes and chapters is that when writers study scenes instead of chapters, they don't need to worry about how each chapter ends or how it transitions into the next chapter. And that's great because instead they can focus on structuring their stories and scenes and then break up the story into chapters once the structure stands on its own. Start with a lot of writers who study story structure and then think, Oh, no, how does the storage structure apply if the first chapter ends on a cliffhanger or something like that? And I think overall, when you're looking at the idea of how the scene is made up, you could think about, OK, I can outline my story and confirm scenes are working based on their structure and how the scene applies to the structure. But then you can worry about where you want to break up chapters based on how you're trying to deliver the pace and things like that later on. OK, so now let's look at how to analyze a first chapter. I've mentioned that I'm a developmental editor and that i work as an editorial intern. And one of the tools that i like to use to analyze scenes is a scene analysis template that I've adapted from my certification from the StoryGrid methodology. If you're unfamiliar with StoryGrid or find it overwhelming, don't panic. I'm going to explain each of these scene analysis questions and commandments. And as we go deeper into the podcast and have more episodes, I might have less detail on how to use the commandments in the scene analysis questions, but I will always provide a template of those in the show notes and how I apply them to my analysis for each story. And for today's episode, especially since it's the first time that I'm walking everyone through this on the podcast, we'll go in depth about what I'm looking for in each question, as well as the commandments in the column questions. pulled from a book. So this is the scene analysis template. Basically I'm using this scene analysis template as a way to assess quality scenes. I use Socratic questions that I've adapted from StoryGrid scene analysis template to analyze the scene. And each of these helps me determine if a story event occurs in a scene. So what's a story event? A story event is a significant change in the scene, which I consider as something valuable to the character and storied as it changes. And this change confers whether or not a scene advances the plot and develops the character. I'm going to be able to, because of a story event, know that something has changed from beginning to end, whether or not it's the character's reflections on something, or whether or not that's something external, but it causes a value shift, something that's valuable to the character has changed. And also there's a clarity shift. So that means the scene will go from a negative to positive, positive. Double positive, negative, double negative, whatever way you want to show that. I also want to note that I think that there are multiple scenes in the first chapter of Take It Back. What I'm going to focus on for the analysis is that what I consider the main scene of the first chapter of Take It Back. From a subjective standpoint, I think Take It Back has several scenes, but this one main scene I consider as the purpose of the first chapter is when Zara meets Jodi and agrees to defend her. For today's scene analysis, I'm going to look at that main scene, which starts after a page break with the lines, Armini's house on Whitechapel Road, and ends with the words, scrub the stain clean and serve justice. This is how I break it down. I use three Socratic questions that I've adapted from StoryGrid's Scene Analysis template to analyze scenes, in addition to looking at what is the story event in the scene. For take it back in this main scene, again, this is just the main scene, I think the story event for the scene could be bordered as something like this. And I like to think about, okay, story events. What's one of the big things you're looking for for a story event? I'm looking to identify that there's a protagonist, that there's some sort of antagonist who is conflicting with that protagonist one and basically challenging them to make some sort of decision in order to achieve their want or their goal. I'm also thinking about, imagine it as the log line of the scene. What are the biggest hooks that you're trying to fill out for the story event? And also remember, this is subjective, so the way that you see something might be different to the way I see something, but this is how I word prep the story of that main scene, take it back. So at work, Zara meets with Jodi and discusses how Jodi was raped, and later agrees to defend Jodi in court, even though the case concerns her. The general idea, that's what I think is happening in the scene. My first question, so the first the three Socratic questions, is what are the characters literally doing? When I look at this question, this question takes on the reader's perspective. This means that the goal is to see if there's an external change or a shift that accompanies this movement. For instance, the literal action could be as simple as Zara goes to work. That's what she's literally doing in this scene. And then the shift could be something like not assigned to Jody's case to defending Jody. Now, again, like these are just words that I'm pulling out to describe an external change. There are no perfect words for this value shift, okay? But what I'm looking for is, is there movement in some way on an external scale? The second question that I like to ask from the three Socratic questions is, what is the main character's goal or intention in the scene that conflicts with an antagonist's goal and intention? And also, why are these the goals? And how does the main character's actions to gain this goal or intention cause an internal shift? So unlike the first question, which focuses on external, on the literal level, the reader's perspective, question number two, we go inward. We round ourselves in the POV and we go deep into the internal psyche of the character. This is also a big driving factor of the scene because every scene should show a character wanting something and doing something to try to get that one. And the way that those wants are challenged are because the antagonist gets in the way. Keep in mind that an antagonist, that's not synonymous with the word villain. Antagonist is just someone who is going to conflict with the main character's wants. And because of that, the main character has to adjust their approach to getting their goal or their scene want. This question takes the character's perspective. And the goal for it is to see that there's an internal shift that comes from a character who wants something. And this one also conflicts with that antagonist in the scene. For example, and Take It Back, character wants and goals could be Zara wants to do work and have a job that makes a difference because her previous work made her unhappy and unsatisfied. That's the main character. Now let's look at Jody in the scene, who would work as the antagonist in the scene because Jody is going to be the one who challenges Zara and what she's going about with her every day. Jody wants a lawyer to believe her and defend her. And the shift could reflect something like complacent to concerned but determined. And that's following the internal shift to Zara because I'm choosing Zara as the main character of the scene. And the reason why I'm choosing Zara as the main character of the scene is because I think that Zara makes the big decision, which I'll explain in the five commandments. The third question of the Socratic questions I ask, how does the story event impact the big idea and value shift for the story? And this is a really important question because now we're looking at this scene and asking ourselves essentially, how does it fit into the big idea that really is the reason readers are reading the story. That also relates to the value shift. What is the main value shift that we're working with here? This question takes on the author's perspective. And for this reason, it's sometimes difficult to answer this question if you haven't finished reading the book. The goal is to see if this plays a significant role in the main external or internal plot line. And that impacts the big idea of the story so what's the purpose of the story what's the big hooks right this means that the answer will likely contain more explanation than the previous two questions since it will impact the big picture of the story and how a scene which is a, a small picture scale of looking at something plays into that big picture or you can call it global plot or main plot for example intake it back this could be something like and you'll notice that this has more explanation here because i'm now analyzing really why this scene is super important in the big picture story so i could say something like zara talks to jody about what happened to jody which is the inciting incident for the story and beginnings of zara investigating and defending jody's rape case zara believes jody but what will complicate the story is whether or not jody is telling the truth And Zara is concerned for her reputation and well-being if she takes the case, and more so for Jody, since society might not receive her well if she goes to court. However, Zara also understands that Jody needs to fight for justice because the only way to move on in her life and recover from this horrible act is by getting justice. You'll notice that when I use an explanation like that, I'm not rehashing exactly what happened in the scene. This answer to this question is not a synopsis of what happens in the scene. It's more about looking deeper and thinking about how does the scene and what happens in context play a significant role in what's impacting the bigger picture of the story. The value shift for something like this, and this is going back to what the global value shift of the story is. When you analyze this, it doesn't have to be the exact wording of it on such like a a flat level of a value spectrum. But essentially, since we are dealing with a crime court case, it's likely that on some level we're dealing with a value spectrum of injustice to justice. The shift could be injustice to fighting for justice. And again, the words are really up to you. No reader is going to analyze stories on this level of intensity, but it's going to help you as a writer start to edit your own stories so that you can really understand why things are happening and if they're working in a way that's favoring the big picture, the plot advancement, and the character development, the small picture, the scene they're building into the big picture. After you think about those Socratic questions, then we want to look at the five commandments. I like to analyze how the five commandments work in the scene because I think that there are essential elements of plot that indicate if there's a value shift and change in the scene. So, if the five commandments are there, there's going to be a change, especially, especially, especially since it's going to be a turning point that causes a crisis decision, which forces a character to do something. And I'll explain that in just a second. The first commandment is called an inciting incident. An inciting incident is an unexpected event that gets in the way of a character trying to accomplish their goal. This is the first sign of conflict in the scene, and it will cause the character to come up with a new scene goal, or it forces the character to adjust to their initial scene goal. The inciting incident is either causal, it's caused by a person, or it's coincidental, which means it's caused by a coincidence. The idea here is that your character is going about their day, or they're trying to do something, some sort of unexpected event. It's thrown on their way, it's caused by a person or coincidence, and they are forced to either come up with a new goal or adjust their goal for the scene. The inciting incident and take it back. And again, remember that I'm just looking at that main scene right now. I'm not looking at the full chapter I do think that there are multiple scenes in this chapter. It is Stuart asks Zara if she'll take on a case. And remember that for one is doing something along the lines of contributing meaningful work, going you about for date. And here comes Stuart, he's gonna drop this case. On her in this case is going to become a lot bigger than what she expected it to be. Now, from the inciting incident to what I like to call the turning point, if you are familiar with Story Grid, it's called the progressive complication turning point. I just simplify it to the turning point. It means that there is an action or a revelation. It's going to force the character to make a decision. Now, between the inciting incident and the turning point, there are what we call progressive complications. There are conflicts that the main character is going to come across. But these conflicts are going to demand attention and come with consequences. A turning point is different from those progressive complications that I just talked about, because they force the main character into a crisis question or a crisis decision. And that means that even if the character ignores the turning point, there will be consequences. The turning point is an action, meaning that something physical happens, or a revelation, meaning that the character gets new information that forces the character to make that crisis question. They have to face it, which means that they can no longer go about the scene in the way that they previously pursued it because even if they ignore this decision, there will be consequences. The turning point in the main scene and the first chapter are taken back, I think is mainly Jody's confession to Zara about what happened to her, specifically when Zara learns that its four Muslim boys had raped a disabled white girl. Following some certain lines, this is a quote now Zara stiffened, a bead of sweat trickled down the skull of her back. Four Muslim boys, four Muslim boys had raped a disabled white girl. And then Jody goes on to describe the grotesque details of what happens to her and how each boy harasses and attacks her, essentially. And as the details get worse and worse, Zara gets more and more uncomfortable because the jury might not consider Jody as someone who's desirable enough. There are lines in here that indicate that Zara starts to worry about this. Here's another quote Zara closed her eyes for a moment stemming the weakness nodding her throat and also looking at things like Zara listened as the words from Jody's mouth fell like black spiders crawling over her skin and making her recoil. Um, The sensation unnerved her. Part of Zara's talent as a caseworker was her ability to remain composed almost dispassionate in the face of the painful stories told between these walls. Today, the buffer was breached. So we can see that this is a case that's upsetting to Zara's. And the turning point here is around the idea that it's not just one, it's four. And they are four boys who have raped a disabled white girl. So that's kind of the big case here. That turning point is what's going to throw Zara into a crisis question. This isn't just any sexual harassment case that she's come across. This is one that she actually feels unnerved about. And she gets thrown into a crisis question of something like, should Zara believe Jody and defend her despite the difficulties of what this case is going to entail? Or should Zara... Take the easy way out and pass jody's case into someone else let's backtrack just a little bit a crisis question is the third commandment and a crisis question or a crisis decision is when the character is faced with a decision about how to move forward in the scene and this decision will come with consequences a crisis question is either a best bad choice which means that a character faces two equally bad things or it's an irreconcilable good decision which means that the character is facing two equally good things. the inverse of a best bad choice. But this choice could negatively impact a third party. In this case, the crisis question really is a best bad choice because to not defend Jodi would go against Zara's conscience. And to defend Jody means taking an uphill battle. The climax is the fourth commandment in a scene. And the climax is the action that shows how your character Makes their crisis question choice. It's how they make their decision, right? It's quick. It's an action that shows the reader how the character makes this choice. and everything else that follows that is going to be the resolution, which we'll go over in a second. The climax in the main scene of the first chapter, Take it back. I see it as Zara tells Jody that she believes her and then agrees to defend her. And this comes with a rush of relief to Jody because she knows that she's a lawyer who's going to be on her side despite the uphill battle they have to face. The resolution is the fifth and final commandment, and this shows that the character's decision works out for them. It's all of the details that result from the character's action, and it confirms there has been a value shift and a character and plot change in the scene. We'll see that the scene has ended very differently from the way it began. The resolution in the main scene of Take It Back is Zara feels called to defend Jody and intends to do everything she can to earn justice for Jody, despite what this could mean for Zara and her reputation as a lawyer? She starts to go over what Jody and she need to do next and walks her through that. The main end goal here is that Zara is in a place where she is ready to defend Jody, no matter what that means. All right, so that is a breakdown of the analysis factors on the structure, focusing on the structure. So, we've gone over three Socratic questions that I think helped me understand how structure and plot and character work together. And then we look at the five commandments, making sure that structure is strong and that the scene is doing something. And the scene's doing something because the character is making decisions. Now, when we look at specifically a first chapter, I like to use seven questions from literary agent and author Pauline May's book, The Writer's Guide to Beginnings. This is a phenomenal resource for any writer or literary agent or editor. It is wonderful. She has fantastic tips on how to really strengthen and tell when the beginning of a story is strong. I highly recommend it and I'll include it in the show notes. In the very beginning of it, she goes over the general seven questions that when she's looking at at the beginning of a book, what she's assessing to make sure that these are working in the story and that they're going to carry through throughout the story. So these questions are What kind of story is it? What is the story really about? Who is telling the story? Which character should they care about most? Where and when does the story take place? How should they feel about what's happening? And why should they care about what happens next? If you're familiar with Paula's book, you probably understand these questions. But if you're not familiar, let's go over what they are and how they try to take it back. The first one, the focus here is genre. What kind of story is this? Writers need to know the genre they're writing. And the beginnings of the manuscript should read like that genre. Paula even indicates that the first word should reinforce the genre identity set by the title or you'll lose the reader and the sale. And that's a quote. She emphasizes how when a title indicates one genre and the pages counter that expectation you risk derailing your career. So sure there are the rare outliers who can break the rules but the reality of the post business is that if a story doesn't fit maybe into a category the agent and the author are going to have a difficult time selling it. The publisher won't know how to market it. The booksellers won't know how to shelve it. And because of that, nobody will be able to identify the book's target readers. So it's really important that the title and the genre are working together and that we have a clear idea of what the genre is. So this is where comparable titles can play a huge role in helping you identify your genre. If you're having trouble categorizing the genre of your story, I recommend that you take some time and visit a bookstore, talk to booksellers. Look for comparable titles, to your story, and read the first pages of those. And ask yourself, what does this genre read? Do you give the same impression in your first pages? And that's the goal here. If you don't, don't panic. Just take some time to edit them and figure out what is it really that a genre is trying to accomplish. For Take It Back, Take It Back is a legal thriller. And readers understand this from the first pages. Some things that happen in the first pages. It's riddled with psychological tension. It's a very dark book. There's a lot of dark suspense. And there's a traumatic confession of a victim who was raped, and the grotesque details of exactly how she was raped. In this case, we see how the protagonist of the story, Zara, believes this victim named Jody Wolf. And there are multiple main characters in the story, but I think the lead protagonist would be Zara. And how she agrees to defend Jody, despite how difficult Zara knows this case is going to be. So we understand the uphill battle that's to come, and we're excited to see our attack tackles the Epo battle along with the other characters in the story. The second question, the focus here is plots. So the big question is, what is the story really about? A writer and a reader can usually tell someone what the book is about in 50 words or less. If the book includes a well-written first chapter and story. Paula shares in her book that she can't sell a story that she can't explain in 50 words or less. And I think that that's really smart because... Usually when we're trying to over-explain something, we don't have the big ideas. We don't have the concise way of communicating something, which means that we might be trying to do too much with something. This means that from the very beginning, the story needs to clearly define the protagonist, their story goal, and the conflicts they're up against. You need your story to indicate the big hook. We're tying in some things that we talked about with the scene analysis now. I've mentioned goals. I've mentioned conflict. I mentioned big hook. And the big hook that makes the story worth the reader's time. Take It Back is a courtroom thriller. I've already said this before. I phrased this in 39 words. Take It Back is a courtroom thriller that collides sex, race, and social justice about an ex-high profile lawyer who defends a facially deformed teenager after she accuses four boys of raping her, all of whom who have proven alibis and come from hardworking immigrant families. And what makes this difficult is that we have a Disabled teenager who's been raped, and we also have a disabled teenager who's been raped by boys who have proven alibis. It's definitely an uphill battle to climb. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in this case. The third question: We're going to look at point of view. The question is: Who is telling the story? If you want to write a book that hooks a literary agent and a reader with the first chapter in a book, you need to have a clearly established point of view character. The POV character is often the protagonist. And readers need to know right away who is telling the story and the limitations of the point of view choice. There are three main types of point of view, first person, third person limited, and third person omniscient. There are other options like second person, but these are less common. Writers with a strong established voice often choose first person, but regardless of the point of view, you choose a strong voice is necessary for great books. And it's uncommon for an agent or editor to pass a story that lacks a defining voice. And I think that's really important because often the first thing that is going to throw an agent off or pull an agent in is the voice. And voice comes through practice and voice comes through really seasoning yourself as an author and grounding yourselves in the character and the voice that is telling the story. Books may also include multiple point of views. And in these cases, the point of view will either shift with scenes or chapters, but no book should contain pen popping or when a point of view shifts within a scene. Sometimes just see that this happens with omniscient, but the omniscient is really because the narrator is belonging to someone who is outside of the characters. Regardless of an author's choice, they should make the point of view clear in the first chapter, and this will set up expectations for the voice and the point of view for the rest of the book. Take It Back is written in third-person omniscient, even though it stays close to Zara, Jody, and Amir for a large portion of the book. From the first pages, Readers can see that the narrator has an opinion and defined voice as they reveal the interaction between Zara and Luca. For instance, lines like "and this is a quote: she'd probably break his heart, but what did he expect? Screwing a Muslim girl? Don't exactly sound like Zara." Additionally, even though the story sticks close to Zara and her feelings and observations, there are subtle shifts. Like here's another quote: "He blinked and tried to pinpoint the exact moment he lost her." End quote. That shifts the point of view taking an omniscient viewpoint. Third-person omniscient is a smart choice for this novel since it allows Kia Abdullah, the author, to develop an authorial voice. At the same time, it allows Kia to move between multiple major characters without giving too much away. This choice allows Kia to explore different parts of the world and trials that might not be apparent to every character, which works wonderfully since this keeps the reader guessing who is telling the truth throughout the whole court case, Jody or the voice. And the reader won't learn this until the last pages of the book. Question number four, we're focusing now on character. question is, which character should we care about the most? Plot is indispensable. Setting is important. But no story, in my opinion, works without a memorable, sympathetic character. The reason readers keep reading a story is because they want to see if the protagonist makes it. A chapter that hooks a reader, agent, or editor will make it clear why they should care about the protagonist from the first pages. They should see how the protagonist is, one, sympathetic, two, placed in a situation that demands a reader's attention, and three, is forced to make tough decisions that come with high stakes. Take It Back opens with an intimate scene between Zara and Luca, establishing Zara as the protagonist. You notice that I'm looking at the first chapter as a whole now, not just the main scene, right? The reader is concerned for her, and Zara is ruthlessly hard on herself, calling herself a fucking cliche, who has lost her dream to changing the world, becoming extraordinary. The first chapter then takes us deeper into establishing Zara's sympathetic. She gave up her high profile career as a lawyer to practice law at a sexual assault center. And finally, when Zara meets Jodie Wolf, she believes her and agrees to defend her, even though this choice comes at great risk for Zara's reputation and personal safety. The fifth question we're now going to focus on setting where and when does the story take place? Think of your first chapters as the establishing shot in a film and readers are far more likely to enjoy and understand the story and therefore care about it if they understand the story setting, the time and the place from the very beginning. Establishing setting also establishes tone, which is important for your story's genre. When a writer chooses a setting and grounds a reader in the setting, they should consider what makes a setting unique to the story. Settings should do more than just establish a place just because. It should also play a role in shaping your story. When you choose your setting, you're giving yourself plot opportunities to use the plot in the setting as a way to challenge the character and force them to make decisions as they go forward. This way, whether or not a reader has experienced a setting or not, Readers will see and care about why the setting choice for a story impacts the singular view and the characters because it's going to really challenge the plot and the characters themselves. Take It Back is set in East London and the largest setting described in the first chapter is Zara's place of employment, Artemis House on Whitechapel Road. The building is described as, quote, cramped but comfortable and the, quote, trust fund kids and the modern block round the corner were long scared off by the social housing quota. East London is described as multicultural and insular, a description that naturally raises the stakes for the characters like Zara Jody Wolf and the poor voice who Jody accuses of raping her. Question number six goes to the reader and it looks at the core emotion that we're trying to trigger in a reader as a writer, right? The question is how should they feel about what's happening? They being the reader. At the heart of stories, there is emotion. And readers want to feel something when they read. They want to experience a cathartic ending and enjoy the range of emotions the story makes them feel while reading it. And in her book, Paula Mine says that, that quote, the sooner you can evoke emotion in your readers, the sooner you draw them into your story. The first pages of a book need to make the reader feel something. And this is related to a driving emotion that will carry over and build throughout the book. What is the emotion the writer wants to evoke in a book? And how does the story in its first pages successfully do this? That is the main question that you're asking and trying to answer with this focus. As a reader of Take It Back, there's intrigue about Zara and her personal life. She talks about being a cliche and rebelling against her culture. And she's distant from Luca in those first pages. This makes me as a reader wonder what's going on with her especially since she abruptly switched her jobs and her friend who goes out to lunch with her calls her out and having a midlife crisis. Then you have to throw in the different aspects of Jodi accusing the boys of raping her. Rape alone is always a heavy topic as it's so horrific and has this he said, she said quality to it. Plus there's the added factor of Jodi's physical deformity and that the boys are Muslim. You know because of this that there are going to be issues with race and physical differences. For instance, one of the concerns that Sarah has is because of her facial deformities, people might see her as less sympathetic or that there will be a lower likelihood that four boys would actually rape someone who looks like her. Additionally, because the boys are Muslim, there's a potential for outsiders to become racist towards the boys individually and the whole Muslim community. Since Zara is also Muslim defending Jody, there's the added factor that there's a chance that the Muslim community will reject her if they feel like she's betraying her own race. and culture based on history when race comes into crime cases there's potential for people becoming more leery and uneasy towards anyone different from them and this can spill over into violence and other hate crimes and because jody has a facial deformity there's a chance that people will become prejudiced against those with physical disabilities so why should the reader care the professional psychological and physical stakes are high on the private and public levels from these first pages and it's likely that this case will only continue to shake the community in ways that even those most impacted by the case can anticipate. I'm sympathetic for her emptiness and disappointment in the world and career that has turned her into someone who no longer makes plans. By the time Zara agrees to defend Jodi, I worry for her and all the characters for what's to come because they've been hurt. And while at the same time I hope that Zara can get justice for Jodi, The later struggle and the emotion that's going to grow with the story is that we start to question who actually is at fault here. This emotion of longing for justice, tied and grounded with Sarah, makes us more and more worried and flustered as we start to wonder if the party who has been accused is actually the wronged party and is the victim in the story Or if Jodi is telling the truth and she is the rightful victim. The last question, question number seven, is about stakes. And no story works without high stakes. The question here is why should they, they being the reader, care what happens next? Paula in her book mentions how this question deals with three factors. One, the action happening in the story's opening. Two, the premise of the story. And three, the big idea of the story itself. Sometimes all three factors are the same thing. And sometimes they're different things. Here's what each entails. One, the action happens as the story opens. So the first pages of first chapters shouldn't be filled with backstory or obsessive telling. Something interesting needs to happen. And that something interesting should always force the character to make a crisis decision. There needs to be a narrative thrust that makes the reader want to keep reading, which means that some sort of action needs to happen that advances the plot. Remember, that action advances the plot because it forces the character to make a decision. Two, the premise of the story. The premise is the starting point of the story, and it grounds the big ideas for what's to come. The premise also highlights what's compelling and where the story will go. And three, the big idea. The big idea of the story is the story's hook and what grabs an agent and sells the story to agents readers. And the bigger the idea, the better chance an agent or writer has at selling their story. And the more likely you'll be able to write a novel-length story because there's a lot to work with, a lot of potential for it to withstand the length of a novel. If you, as the writer, want readers to care about what happens next, look at your story opening and then ask yourself, is something happening in the first scene and chapter that forces a protagonist to make a crisis decision? How does that crisis decision and the action that is causing it relate to the premise of the story as well as the big idea that makes your story stand out from all the others in its genre. Take It Back opens with tension between Zara and Luca, but the biggest action and decision that happens in the first chapter is when Jody comes to Zara's office looking for a lawyer. Zara understands the stakes are high here, professionally, psychologically, and maybe even physically if she takes Jody's case. And these psychological stakes are heightened, especially based on Zara's professional stakes, whether or not she's going to believe Jody and defender or not. Zara chooses to take Jody's case. That's her decision, which is an action tied to the premise. And it also is tied to the big idea. The big idea is different from all the other court cases in its genre because take it back includes factors that collide sex, race, and social justice, mixed with uncertainty and who is telling the truth and who's lying. That's mixing the sex race and social justice together. And that is being this big hook for Take It Back. Those are the seven questions that Paul Minet pulls out in her book. Again, I highly recommend that you go up the book and I'll link it in my show notes. These would be the seven questions that I use to analyze scenes throughout this podcast. Overall, be thinking about how when you master a first chapter, it gives you the stepping stones to master a book. Whether or not you're writing a legal thriller like Take It Back or any other genre, first chapters will make or break your book. They will. They are a writer's best chance at getting an agent, to request more of a manuscript, and they are also staples in a story's ability to sell an editor and a reader. First chapters also establish the expectations and standards for a story. And if a first chapter is well-written, this quality of writing and storytelling should carry over throughout the entire book. When a writer learns how to write a great first chapter, they learn how to become a better writer because they are applying and taking serious consideration how many of the story essentials work in the scene structure and from the global perspective. Using writing tools and methodologies like Paula Mune's first chapter questions and the scene analysis questions and commandments that I use to edit scenes, I think, are great ways to assess how your first chapter measures up and if it stands a chance at hooking your reader, be them a literary agent, editor, or everyday bibliophile in love with your work. Personally, I am loved to take it back and think that Kia Abdullah's writing is wonderful. She executed such a complicated, difficult, and dark story with such grace and emotion. If you'd like to read Kia's work, you can find her book with the links that I list in the show notes. And I'll also share my analysis in the show notes of how to take it back answers the seven questions that I've talked about from Paula's book, as well as the scene analysis questions of five commandments. I'm hoping that by sharing my mindset and when I'm looking at my first chapter's, that I can not only help you find the literary agent who's going to be the best business partner for your writing career, but also teaching you the tools that hooks the literary agent by closely looking at books that have hooked that agent because they represent them. And that's all that I have for today's bonus episode. I hope that these resources give you what you need. I also inspire you to read Take It Back, as well as Paul Munet's book, The Writer's Guide to the Beginnings. They're amazing. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the previous episodes that I've shared on LitMatch. And you're an Apple user, I genuinely would appreciate if you take the quick few minutes to rate and write a review for this podcast. Rating and writing a review signals that this podcast matters and helps me reach more writers like you who are trying to find a literary agent and further writing craft by looking at how to master the first chapters. Thank you for that time and your generosity. I so appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments that you'd like to reach out to me personally, I will do my absolute best to answer any emails. You can email me at www.abicalkperry.com. That's all that I have for today and hope you join me next week for more great conversations from literary agents and breakdowns for first chapters.